Welcome to the Asset Management Mastery Podcast. Your hosts, Gary Lipsky and Kyle Mitchell, have more than 50 years of combined experience in operations and management, and more than 25 years of real estate investing experience. This show focuses on educating syndicators and apartment owners on how to build systems and manage their properties more efficiently to become a best-in-class operator. 100% straight talk. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our Asset Management Friday segment of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I am your co-host, Kyle Mitchell, also joined by Gary Lipsky. Also, be sure to check out our Facebook group, Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate. All right. Today on the show, we have Greg Dickerson. Greg, welcome and thanks for being on the show. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. If you could, please tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do. Yeah, so I'm a real estate developer. I've been in the business since 1997, started as a remodeling contractor, built that into a $30 million company in seven years and sold it, started 12 other companies along the way. And my whole philosophy has been build businesses that generate cash flow to invest in other assets. So for me, that was real estate into commercial real estate, into land development, into bigger projects. So 23-year career, done a little bit of everything. And I'm currently based out of Charlottesville, Virginia. And I focus on the Southeast from DC all the way down into North Carolina. Excellent. So Greg, today we're going to talk about due diligence. This is a meaty question, but kind of walk me through your step-by-step, everything you do for due diligence, who's involved, when do they get involved? Yep. So due diligence starts when I am doing underwriting and asset evaluation. So I start with all of the documentation. So you want all of the you know, financials, you want all the rent rolls, you want all of the environmental surveys, you know, what's called an Alta survey any appraisals that they may have, bank statements, whatever you can get documentation. And the brokers are pretty good these days with gathering documentation, especially on larger assets. So I start with that. And then I start looking deep into the surrounding area of the property. So what does the property look like? What is the surrounding area? What types of businesses are around the property? What do the vehicles look like? What does the traffic look like? I like to visit the property at different hours on different days. So that property can look very differently on a Monday at two o'clock, then it will look on a Friday night at six o'clock, you know, or a Saturday afternoon at, or a morning at 10, 11, you know. So you want to visit the property multiple times, different hours of the day, and kind of see what's going on. Look at the tenant mix, look at what kind of cars are there. So that's where I start with the due diligence from a financial standpoint, from the, the paperwork and things like that. Once I'm on site and I'm doing a property visit, uh, kind of the same thing. I like to drive around the block, look at what the competing properties are. What are the vacancies? Are there for rent signs up everywhere? You know, that kind of thing. And just kind of look at the general area within a one you know, to three mile radius. Of course, I've done all of that online as well, looking at rent comps, you know, things like that. I read the reviews. What do they say about that? What do they say about the other properties around it? Things like that and do those comparisons. And then I've got some analysis software that, that kind of shows you averages across the country of different things that I use. But then when I get to the site, you know, I like to go through the property, drive through it, and then start noticing everything from the ground up. So I look at the parking lot, the curbs, the sidewalks, what does the landscaping look like? You know, what do the amenities of the property look like? What do the vehicles in the property look like? What do the tenants look like? Uh, Then I start looking at the building. What does the foundation look like? What is the bottom of the foundation where siding hits the slab? You know, is it on a crawl space? Is it on a podium? pedestal? You know, what kind of structure is it? So I'll look at that. What do the windows and doors look like? You know, what do the heat pumps look like? Utility connections, you know, things like that. So I take a real deep look at it. I don't get up on the roof myself, but I look at it from, you know, the ground and distances, 
so I can kind of get an idea of that and uh, try to assess the overall condition of the property. And then in this current environment, you can't get into the units. I like to go, I like to get into every single door in every single room. So even if you're in a, a unit or in an office, especially, you want to look behind every door, find out what's going on and see if those units are occupied, if they're giving you accurate economic occupancy information and numbers, and then visit each unit. So in a nutshell, that's the wrap of what we've got going on. Now, when you add the coronavirus in there, and especially as we start moving forward, you know, down the line, further down the line with this, you're going to want to verify economic occupancy. You're going to want to have an honest conversation with the owner. You know, how many of your tenants are behind? What kind of jobs do they have? Where do they work? You know, those types of things. And you want to try to anticipate loss of income because it's going to be there. So if you're underwriting, I like to underwrite 10% vacancy. I'm very conservative. I never do less than 10% vacancy. And then I always make sure that I've got, an, and this is before all this happened, I always make sure that I've got about a 20% cushion. So at a very minimum, if I lost 20% of my income, that property should still take care of itself and pay back the equity. That's where I'm at. So obviously I've had to pass on a lot of deals in the last year because many of the deals wouldn't cover the debt service, much less the equity with a 20% vacancy, economic occupancy or vacancy. So that's at a high level, the things that, that I look at. And it's real important to verify that occupancy in this, in this climate and find out who's current, who's not, who's going to have a problem. Right. A lot of great information in there, Greg. You talked about all these steps that you take. Do you use, do you have a checklist? And if so, like what is it on like Excel or any other software? Yeah. So it's just a checklist that I've developed over the years and, you know, simple Word document. You can pull it out on your phone and go through it. I mean, I pretty much know now I don't really need one but I do have it. I mean, I've got systems in place for everything in the business, which is just a simple checklist. There are softwares you can use, property management softwares that, you know, have due diligence checklists, you know, and things like that. But I've been doing it so long, you know, it's all up here. And you, you mentioned an analysis software. What tools are you using for that? So there's something out there called Enodo, E-N-O-D-O. And that gives you Walker and Dunlop information. And it shows you properties all across the country so you can compare rents, operating costs, you know, things like that. It's also got an underwriting tool so you can upload rent rolls. It automatically populates it. So that's a real robust system. And then if you're using an investor management system like IMS, they just bought out a company last year or earlier this year. I can't remember. It's an asset management uh, component. And that's got a lot of the due diligence checklists and things like that built in for asset management. So there's some really good tools out there that, that automate the entire process. Nice, nice. Have you ever been burned on due diligence before? And, and if so, like, what, what was the thing that you missed and, and what, what happened? Well, I guess, you know, probably the biggest thing is finding, uh, you know, on, on some older properties like underground tanks or something like that that you didn't know about. Or uh, even in commercial, I went to renovate a building, we tore the slab up and there was a hydraulic lift buried that they just covered and filled in. So obviously, there's going to be things like that, when, especially when you're buying. I do a lot of adaptive reuse, so I'll buy a warehouse and redo it. So on something like that, there's just no way you can know. You're not going to dig up a slab. And if the environmental doesn't pick it up, uh, you're not going to know what it is. But on a multifamily, no, I've never missed anything. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. You know, it's, it, there really aren't any surprises if you take the time to do everything, which is go into all the units, make sure you or somebody on your team sets foot in every single unit, checks every single thing, shake the toilets, shake the sinks, make sure the water's working. You know, when your inspector goes through it, they're going to check everything, you know, all the outlets, all that kind of stuff. So I haven't really seen too many, you know, too many surprises there. Uh, have you ever had a retrade? And what, what, what did that look like, you know, working with the broker and, and the seller? 
I don't deal with that a lot. You know, I'm, a, I'm an easy buyer and I know what I'm doing. So I, I can identify stuff pretty quick. I know what things are going to cost. It's very rare that the inspection report's going to pick up anything significant that I didn't see uh, on the initial inspection. Again, you know, I started my career as a builder. So I've built the buildings, I've renovated them. So I know exactly what I'm doing, exactly what I'm looking for, and exactly what things are going to cost. So I do all that beforehand. So I find everything I can and I don't beat the seller up. I just say, hey, the pool's going to cost 100 grand. You know, the roof's going to cost, you know, 350 grand. Hey, the, you know, these doors are $400 a piece. So I go through all that on the, on the front end. And then if I find something that's within 1%, I don't really mess with that. But if, it, if there's something that pops up that I didn't see, which hasn't really happened yet, you know, I would go back and talk to the seller about it and, and try to, you know, get some concessions there. But if it's, you know, if it's a $10 million deal and you're talking about, you know, 20, 50,000 bucks, you don't want to mess with that. Right. Understood. How many days does it take you to do due diligence? And, and how many days, if it differs, like, do you put in the contract? I like to write my personal contracts, you know, for multifamily acquisitions, at least 60 days due diligence, 90 day close. Uh, now that changed, you know, in the last year, because it got so competitive, people were doing 30 and 30, or 30 and 45. And to be competitive, you had to do that. But depending on the property, if it's pretty straightforward, newer property, I like nicer properties, you know, you can shorten that due diligence time frame. But moving forward right now, you need 90 days due diligence, you know, almost 120 to 180 days to close because the lenders are getting backed up, inspectors, you know, are getting backed up, you know, all bets are off, you know, in terms of how long it's going to take. No more hard, you know, earnest money. You don't want to do that anymore. You got to give yourself time and you got to give yourself an out. You got to have your force majeure, you know, coronavirus clauses now, you know, for anything that could pop up. So retrading is back on the table. No more hard earnest money and give yourself plenty of time to close. Land development and other things, a whole different story. Really good advice. Kyle, you want to take it away? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Greg, what is your asset management superpower? So probably being able to look at things from a risk standpoint and be able to foresee the unforeseeable and hedge things that could arise and then construction costs. You know, I just, I know construction costs. Perfect. And so you mentioned that you typically did due diligence for 60 days. Can you tell the listeners what's the main reason for that? You know, because when you walk the units, you can walk them in a couple of days, you can do lease audits in a couple of days. What's kind of the one or two things that's going to take the 60 days to get through your due diligence? You just never know. Things can happen. So somebody, you know, inspector can't show up, a survey doesn't come back. You know, I just always like to allow plenty of time on a large commercial property. I mean, appraisals, all that kind of, that's all part of the process, right? So your loan docs, everything is kind of part of that due diligence process as you're kind of going along. So I always like to add and allow for a little bit more time. A lot of people don't think you can get 60 days. If you don't ask, you don't have, right? Or you don't get. So I always like to allow, again, I'm very conservative. I know the things that can go wrong and things that can, that can happen. And I want to give everybody plenty of time to travel, plenty of time to get stuff done and, and not be pressured and you're raising capital, you're doing all these other things along the way. So, uh, you know, I just like to give myself more time. Land development, I'll tie land up for six months to a year just for due diligence. And then then I'll have an unlimited amount of time to close until we get all the entitlements and improvements. So I like long due diligence time, you know, time frames and, and as much time as I can have to close. Awesome. Well, thanks, Greg, for coming on the show and adding value on the subject of due diligence. So today we covered different things like starting your due diligence and underwriting and asset evaluation. Make sure you drive the local area, not just looking at it on maps, and then build systems to improve your due diligence process to make sure that's all online. So Greg, can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you? 
Yeah. So gregdickerson.com. That's my website. All of my information's on there. And I've got YouTube channel podcast as well with a lot of great information. I make videos all the time talking about due diligence process, development, you know, all types of different uh, properties. So I build, develop, buy and sell all kinds of different types of commercial and multifamily real estate. So uh, yeah, gregdickerson.com. Awesome. And to our listeners, thanks for listening in. If you do like this episode, please head over to iTunes and Stitcher, like, subscribe, and review as that'll help us grow our audience. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Asset Management Mastery Group on Facebook so you can reach Kyle and Gary and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, go to assetmanagementmastery.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Gary and Kyle, sign up on the contact page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.